Hello, and welcome to Digital Artcast, hosted by Gordon Neal. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Procreate, the most advanced painting app ever designed for a mobile device. We'll be discussing the app a little more later in the episode, as well as giving away a free copy. But for now, let's get started. Back to the Digital Artcast. Um, today I am joined with another chain artist um, of Hearthstone and Bioware fame, uh, Mr. Mike Sass. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks yeah. for having me. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, so yeah, so uh, you and I had a weird instance of meeting um, where I had started a, a 30-day challenge on doing a, a kind of Hearthstone card study every day, and I think I'd, I, as I was kind of progressing and, and, and adding uh, work to the portfolio, I came across some of your paintings. Um, I think I reached out with a friend request, we added each other, and then I think randomly you commented on one of the um, the Phoenix painting studies that I'd done on one of your cards. I think it was like the level one, two, and three. Right. No, I mean, I think I, you know, uh, you get friend requests and then you see people in your Facebook feed and, uh, yeah. you know, I noticed you doing all these Hearthstone recreations and, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not somebody who is a snob online. You know, if, if I see something good, I'll say I like it. And, you know, I see you doing all this work and it's like, wow, yeah. this guy's really got some work ethic. So, oh, you know, thanks. doing some <laughs> my painting over and yeah. I just commented how, yeah, one of them I really didn't like. and. You know, give you some input in that sense of, uh, you know, I, I don't know why you're copying something. Maybe you think it's good, but I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, it was just, uh, I think it was because that challenge came just off the heels of Inktober. And um, I think it's a similar thing where, like, I've listened to Jake Parker talk about why he started it. And um, he was basically saying that the task wasn't really to make anything fancy. It was more just to make sure that people were doing something every day. Like, they were drawing every single day. Um, and that kind of challenge that I'd done with the Hearthstone cards was, well, it was twofold. One was to make sure that I was painting um, for three to four hours a day and I was, you know, trying to keep up my skills. Um, and the other was obviously um, try to focus on a material that I loved because I would love to work for Blizzard one day. Um, so that was a kind of, it was kind of double-barreled. But um, it, has, it has actually gained quite a lot of attention from people. Like, I know... You know, my general people who were in my friends' feed, who are mostly working artists for companies, were, were saying, you know, I loved it, it's great, it's great seeing it every day. Um, but it did catch the attention of some Blizzard guys, and they were commenting on it. Um, so I think the next task for me is to do the same thing again, but I'm going to try and create my own cards, or my own versions of cards. Um, it's a couple of guys I spoke to, um, like Jeremy and that, they were saying that it was great that they were doing the studies, but they would love to see more original work. Um, so, yeah, that's... That's good as well because the, the the task I was doing, I think, prepared me for doing more I think, pieces. Yeah, I mean, copying someone's work is really a mechanical process. You're you're not really drawing. You're not problem solving. You know, yeah. you're not doing any of the hard things. It's it's really sort of just some manual labor. So yeah. you know that stuff. That sort of type of practice needs to be. Um, I. 
I wouldn't recommend that type of practice mm. with the sort of volume. I mean, it's anything is better than nothing. But I, I was just laughing personally because you know it was probably the least favorite Parstone card I've done, and then copying <laughs> it is just kind of like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously you've you've done some freelance stuff for Hearthstone, which I obviously picked up on, and and that's why I kind of got in contact with you. But um. Your kind of story starts um, way back, um, obviously through school and stuff, but then you obviously were, were or kind of found your initial career in Bioware. Um, so probably take us back, like, you know, to the start, maybe even, you know, obviously not like maybe high school or, you know, you, you've been drawn since four, but maybe even like, you know, uh, college level, you know, what you were studying and or how you maybe got on a, to Bioware. Did you go to school for art initially? Yeah, sure. No, I think I actually could talk about high school. Um, I did go to a high school that had a really good art program with a serious teacher. And, you know, it was one of the larger high schools where I lived. So, you know, there was enough critical mass of serious sort of art students in, that were teenagers. And we also had something called art special projects, meaning like I could take extra credit in art and have an extra class just focused on doing my own projects. So right. yeah. I had multiple art classes and a very like good high school art teacher and allowed me to really get into um, get into serious oil painting in my teen years. So oh, wow. um, then I went to the Alberta College of Art and Design in Canada here oh, nice. in about 1991. And uh, so this was all pre-computer time. And, uh, you know, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but being like a serious artist and someone who wanted to get the best education possible, I went into uh, the visual communications department, which is where you learn illustration and graphic design. Um, uh, right. Sort of a, a dual stream, like you do both. Um, but you know what? I could easily have been a painter, um, and painting, oil painting is sort of the thing that I was most interested in. But I thought going to the commercial art um, side of the school would be the best way to get like fundamental education and in some good nuts and bolts right. training. You know, knowing that the fine art um, teachings are very much more loosey-goosey and uh, non-structured so I think I made the right call in that sense but I didn't hit college at a good time um, as relates to sort of the art industry now it was sort of a transition time when the computer was a brand new thing yeah. so um, the first few years of visual communications in college we did literally like photocopier, letter set, like wow. letters, hand lettering with wow. like pen ink, um, using things called like PMT cameras and paste up stuff with like cutting Ruby lift. And wow. so everything sort of like pre-computer graphic design using like markers, um, trying to make graphic design well, you know, like the teachers that were teaching were, you know, from the 60s and 70s era. Right. Or 70s and 80s. And we were in the 90s. So, you know, our our instruction that we received was 70s, 80s sort of 
industry standards and practices. So it was basically at the end of its life cycle of that stuff being relevant. Right. So we, we kind of wasted a lot of time on stuff that was immediately rendered useless when the computer became like the go-to tool for graphic design. Yeah. Yeah. So the very end of third year college, we started to touch the computer and then used it in the fourth year. And it was such a new thing that literally the instructors were learning it on the Thursday night at a class and then <laughs> on the Friday morning, yeah. what they, so nobody was an expert, mm. like Photoshop version two, maybe we were using, yeah. I think the first version that had layers was maybe two or 2.5. Right. And uh, it was just a messy time because nobody knew anything. So mm. everything was pure experimentation with the computer. And literally, people would take a photo, scan it in, and put a lens flare filter on it and get an A for their assignment. <coughs> Did it me? So whoever had a plugin in Photoshop that nobody else had would get like the high marks because nobody knew what was going on. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the, this, this was a joke, right? And yeah. this was pre, you know, this was still floppy disk era and utilizing old style types of drives to try to save your work. Things yeah. called like zip drives and SciQuest. I can remember them. Yep. <laughs> um, and it's easy, I think because, um, I mean, I'm not as young as I probably look, but I'm 32 now, but um, yeah, even when I was in high school at the time, I think we were still using um, three and a quarter inch disks, um, some of the old BBC microcomputers. Um, so yeah, the older style stuff is um, is not alien to me. I, I do know of it, but, um, but I think it's almost a good thing because we've had talks about how computers are pretty much able to do anything for you now, and you saying that you didn't touch a computer to third year is almost like a blessing because I think people negate too many of the foundations. You know, we talked to Scott about this, about how his foundation and marker and pen was what set the standard for his work. Um, and the computer was just another tool. But I think people rely too much on that now. Do you feel that way? I think to a degree. I think the problem with me is that, like, Scott's older than I am, so he had, you know, a number of years of really honing hand skills based art yeah. and I didn't really have that so I had some of that and then immediately you know switching to the computer mm. and just a whole bunch of you know a whole bunch of stuff all thrown at me at once yeah you know like we would do what's called media exploration class so you would use the airbrush for maybe two weeks and then you'd be done with it and then you'd use marker for two weeks and you'd be done with it right. so there's no really expertise built yeah. and I think from Scott's standpoint um, you know he's probably coming from an earlier era slightly five to ten years where he would have had a bit more of that hand skills expertise so um, it was just I hit college in the early part of my career at just a real change over time yeah. so I you know I can basically say I'm self-taught even though I went to college for four years yeah. Uh, it was all kind of a bunch of waste of time assignments that were sort of rendered irrelevant immediately when the computer came about. Yeah. And then 
Um, so I graduated then with sort of a portfolio of like one of everything, you know, like I, I tried every little thing, but wasn't an expert or had a great portfolio of anything. So I had like a scratch board drawing and I had, you know, two oil paintings and I had a couple things on the computer. So, you know, just a portfolio in the mid nineties that represented, um, kind of that switch over from two different modes of doing art. Um, so I guess the weakness is obvious that there was no expertise built in any one area. Uh, but strength would be that I guess I had that sort of innate flexibility going into my video gaming career where I was, I had touched a whole bunch of different types of processes of making art. So, um, basically that's how I got my job at Bioware. So Bioware didn't exist, um, in 1994 as it does now. So I got a job out of college. I was basically color correcting photos of bed and breakfasts for a book publisher. Wow. Uh, so basically you would get any art job you could in like the town you lived in. Like this is pre-internet, yeah. pre, you know, I had no visualization of like a world-class art career yeah. with multinational companies. You know, I just had a localized education and uh, as such, you just try to get with, with little scraps of art related work you can locally. Um, so I got this job at this little book publisher and then I had a friend um, who had to go back and redo his fourth year. But during the summer, he had started working for some guys in Calgary, Alberta, that were uh, working on a video game called Shattered Steel. Right. And uh, since he had to go back to school, uh, he recommended I should apply to these guys to do to be the artist for the company. So I sent them my portfolio. And uh, this was at a time in the industry where like, uh, like the quality standards were super low, the technology was super rudimentary. And you basically just sort of learned on the job. Um, so obviously, um, they liked my portfolio because it had some computer art in it, whereas this is a time when the computer was brand new. So unless you were like a programmer, there wasn't a whole lot of artists that had much in the way of computer art in their portfolio. Um, so I got a job at this company called Pyrotech, which uh, was basically Bioware in its early days. Um, so we were developing Shattered Steel. And just to give a, uh, a bit of framework to that, it was all on the PC using DOS. Wow. And uh, as an artist, I couldn't deal with this stuff. I, you know, text on a screen and all these command lines that you have to type in to bring up directory listings and stuff. Yeah. So. I recommended I get a Mac because that's what I had used in college. And so the publisher Interplay sent us a Mac, you know, and I probably had a, you know, Photoshop 2 or whatever at that time. Yeah. And then so I was the de facto singular artist working on this project, Shattered Steel. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
There was two parts to this company. The other part was up in Edmonton, which is where I am now. And uh, they had started working on a demo called Battleground Infinity, oh. which then became Baldur's Gate 1. Ah, right. So Battleground Infinity was a top-down sprite D&D demo. And the publisher Interplay that we were working with on Shattered Steel had the license to make D&D video games. So they slapped that on battleground infinity and it was turned into a D&D game mm -hmm. so that's how i got in i got in from college got a job at the local video game startup you know we're talking like six guys in like one office yeah. uh, and then i moved up to edmonton to finish shattered steel and then it just sort of blew up from there you know baldur's gate one became a hit and then we made baldur's gate two and then Neverwinter Nights, you know, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, Jade wow. Empire. Yeah. Just sort of grew and grew and grew. But I was like Bioware's very first artist. So, um, you know, I grew as a video game artist at the same sort of speed and pace that the company grew. So right. um, well, from a bunch of guys with very rudimentary technology, you know, as the projects became bigger and the stakes became bigger. Um, I was, I was there. I, you know, the most senior guy because I was the first guy. So I had the opportunity to sort of, um, you know, do the art that was high profile simply because the projects grew to be high profile. Yeah. Um, okay. Never have gotten the sort of job I got today with my portfolio from the mid '90s. Like, yeah. just got in because everything was startup level rudimentary um you know and i was just a generalist so everything i know now i i know from doing it as part of my job i didn't learn it in school i didn't have the skills or abilities yes going into the industry well i mean that's that's interesting as well i think because um <clears throat> as me like you know i've kind of had a long journey where i left my job as an engineer to go back and study art because you know i wanted to do that i wasn't happy in my job but um, just on my, my last year, when I was in my third year just there now, last uh, February, um, studying 3D art, I got a chance to go work at Axis Studios in Glasgow and they freelance work or take on work for other companies like uh, Riot Games for League of Legends and uh, the guys who done Destiny, like they worked on Destiny 2 while I was there and I did feel like, you know, because people were saying, oh, you know, you could go and work in Axis after university and I thought, you know, that's just too high a caliber for me at the moment I feel like I would just struggle too much um, I mean there's totally people there who have left from the degree program and went to work at Axis but it's a very tall order because they're very high caliber um, studio they work on such big projects um, but then just in November I got offered a job in a small startup company um, that are working on a game just now um, a 2d art game um, kind of RPG but the level for me of what I'm being expected to do is very you know, it's capable of what I can accomplish at the moment. So I think there's a there's a kind of similarity in your story. Like, I think it is good that you try and maybe judge or kind of scale how th well you think you can do in a company and, and, you know, tailor your portfolio to that. So, yeah, I followed the same path, um, you know, starting on a smaller company and then hopefully as it builds, my ability will build with it, you know, as the projects get bigger. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly what happened to me, like, 
Um, basically, my sort of digital art career started in Baldur's Gate 1. Um, like, I did all the art for Shattered Steel 2D-wise, so I did all the textures and all the sort of marketing renderings and things like that. Um, and then in Baldur's Gate 1, uh, we had the need for, like, portraits for the characters in the game. And a bunch of different artists, like, tried to paint them, and they all were not looking so good. So uh, I tried to do it, and mine looked good. So... Um, that's kind of how it started is that, you know, these portraits, there was a need for a bunch of 2d painting in the game. Yeah. And I seem to be the guy who could do it the best in the company. <laughs> and then it sort of blew up from there. You know, I, the portraits became a big deal in the whole RPG industry, mm. uh, probably from my Baldur's Gate one portraits sort of starting that trend of like sort of crafted character art. Because before that, you know, a lot of it was utilizing like photos and really rudimentary sort of drawings and stuff um, like 2D art in video games in sort of the early 90s was really, really non-specialized. And it was probably a lot of it was, uh, you know, just whatever the programmers could do themselves or sometimes plugging in like stuff advertising agencies would supply. But um, developers that had the ability to do illustration on site as part of the company was a brand new thing. And I was one of the first guys that was able to do that. And um, such that when we were on to Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, um, me as sort of the, I became the marketing artist at Bioware. So um, the guy who would do sort of the, the finished illustrations, um, so it became, uh, we were like us and Blizzard were probably the two only companies in the industry that had sort of illustration capabilities in-house, mm. whereas most of it would have been done by the publisher through ad agencies and specialized freelancers. Yeah. Um, it wasn't normal that employees of game companies um, had the skills to put the sort of polish and finishing touches on things. Yeah. Um, so. Then when I was working on Knights of the Old Republic, I actually got to do the box art like in my cubicle at the company. Like whereas, you know, a multi-million dollar Star Wars game would normally be and today would be, you know, heavily corporate controlled, yeah. gone through a lot of um, checks and balances and, uh, you know, in focus group testing and all that. Um, you know, back in the early 2000s, I was able to do the Star Wars box cover just by myself without yeah. anybody really having any say. So, you know, I had these unbelievable opportunities just based on how I hit the industry in my position at Bioware. Mm. And uh, the fact that there was not really greater expertise at that time because things hadn't really broken down into specializations yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely interesting. I mean, um, I think I talked to you about this before, but one of the first guys we actually had on just after he'd done the ILM Challenge on Art Station um, was Matt Rhodes. Um, did you work with Matt at all at the time in, in Bioware? Um, were you aware of his work at the time? Did you kind of cross paths? Or? Not really. Like, I was in the marketing department. Right. And he was on, like, development teams, so it's different floors and different right. areas. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, I was kind of a, a different 
uh, generation of employee. Right. So, you know, I was pre-specialization. Like, yeah. I had to learn like utilities when we were on Shattered Steel that were homemade 3D programs. Yeah. Then I had to learn Lightwave and then 3D Studio Max. Oh, God. And, <laughs> and I learned all this stuff myself, you know, just through the tutorials and the instruction manuals and stuff like that. Wow. Um, and I was actually responsible for a lot of the like scene setup and lighting and texturing for the early like movie sequences at Bioware. Wow. So there was no specialization as far as like illustration goes. I I sort of knew relatively early that's where my interests were, mm -hmm. and I saw sort of the writing on the wall that. Um, you were gonna have to specialize like there was yeah. really good 3d modelers mm. really good animators and as the technology became more complicated mm. um, Successively, you know, they could just hire somebody out of school yeah. That was better than than you at doing anything because uh, yeah. we were generalists and a lot of the generalist artists that started Bioware um, left relatively early in the company's growth because of that because they were quickly sort of um outshone by people that were specialists in one area yeah. so my specialization became the illustration mm. and uh so i i was working on all the magazine covers and all the box arts and all the desktop wallpapers and things like that mm -hmm. but then later on um say with mass effect one yeah, like the game engine technology was so detailed and sophisticated and the like lighting and rendering and resolution yeah. was so high mm -hmm. that those assets started to be used for the marketing materials and illustration was not really needed anymore. Yeah. So that's the time when my sort of career had started to ramp down at Bioware mm -hmm. and saw the writing on the wall that I was going to have to become a technician again rather than an illustrator. I was going to have to, you know, start to specialize in this game engine technology. And literally on Mass Effect 1, there was a period where I spent three months just posing models for fake screenshots in the game. So, right. you know, they need screenshots to give to magazines and press mm. and the game run. So I have to take all these models in the Unreal Engine and like attach lens flares to the guns oh, and right, yeah. around and make the characters look like they're talking and fighting. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. That's I mean that's interesting, like because um, it even recalls a story I heard when um, I made a friend a couple of years ago when I, I kind of decided I wanted to get in the games industry, and uh, one of my friends knew somebody at Rockstar Games in Edinburgh who make Grand Theft Auto, and um, he had been there since, um, you know, the, since the company was making Lemmings back in like the 80s. Um, and, you know, he actually, you know, was a, a 2D guy to start with, done some graphic design. And, you know, the first two Grand Theft Autos, I think, were 2D, they were top down. Um, but then as they started to evolve into 3D games, he was the same. You know, he was getting told, you'll have to learn Max, you'll have to learn Lightroom or Lightwave. You know, you have to learn how to texture and model things because we need to do it in 3D now. Um, and it was the same, you know, there was no specialization. He just had to learn how to do it. And then um, I think, you know, he's been lucky. 
he's you know he's still there so he's he's just you know he's just worked on Grand Theft Auto 5 but um, he does a more 2D graphic design background now he's kind of made a speciality for him but as you know he was talking about how it was difficult where the people who were coming in who were younger were so much more talented um, he was having to take a backseat because he couldn't keep up some things with it you know the level they were putting out specialization um, and yeah so I mean as, as was that you know I mean as we're talking about you know you moving on from from Bioware um, and um, you know, where was your next steps after that? Did you have an idea that you wanted to leave, or did you see another opportunity with another company, or something freelance kicked up, or? No, I, I think like what you're saying is correct. Like, uh, you know, the new the new talent and the new hires. I mean, they're they're good people applying from all around the world that have specific video game educations, and mm -hmm. none of that stuff existed 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I saw immediately, you know, sort of at the end of my Bioware career that my options were going to be you either get another job at another video game company or you freelance, right? Right. And uh, the only thing that's really realistic to freelance on is like plug and play stuff like illustration. And that's where my expertise and interests lie anyway. So. Um, you know, for, for a number of years at the tail end of my Bioware career, I, I really made sure I was getting a good portfolio out of the whole experience that, you know, I was, um, I was developing skills and getting um, a resume that I would be able to just go home and work from home and be able to move laterally into sort of similar positions. Because if I, if I let the company dictate my career... I said, okay, well, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll, I'll pose fake screenshots for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, suddenly, my career is going to be dictated by um, specializations and technologies that I have to get a job at a company to keep doing. So, mm. like all the animators, all the 3D artists, level designers, when these guys leave Bioware or a company, their only real option is to go get the same job at a similar company. Yeah. Um, and where I live in Edmonton, Canada, there's only one major video game developer in the city. So it means, you know, I have to move to a different part of the country. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I just don't think that's smart to constantly be chasing jobs and all that. Yeah. Um, and my interests really lie in actual, like, oil painting and illustration so I thought being a freelancer I'll have the ability to sort of um, be able to self-dictate my medium and how long I take on things and you know the types of works I do so um, the sort of uh, self-control of being a freelancer definitely appealed to me so I targeted leaving Bioware with a good portfolio and uh, when I did that um, I went to a convention in the U.S. and I met the art director at Blizzard. I met actually Ben Thompson, who's the art director for Hearthstone right now, right. and Jeremy Cramford, who's the art outsourcing manager. Yep. And at the time, they were working on the World of Warcraft trading card game. So basically, similar to Hearthstone, but like a printed version, uh, like Magic: The Gathering, and. Uh, I brought my, you know, Bioware portfolio, and 
they were basically like awesome. Like, you know, can you do this? Like, how long does it take? And I said, you know, well, this t- took me two and a half days and, you know, just a couple conversations and they, you know, they had fairly good confidence that I could do what they needed. You know, I, I had basically the same job as these guys in, you know, a similar company. So, yeah. um, it was really easy for me to start to do freelance work then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to get out of Edmonton, Canada and go meet all these people in person. Yeah. Uh, and it was a major thing. So I would say for a freelancer or somebody wanting to get into this area of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I heard Scott Robertson talk about this in your interview with him. Mm-hmm. This, the personal contacts is a major, major aspect to it. Yeah. Um, they have to see you in person, see your personality, see that you're serious, um, be comfortable with your communication, and all those things are equally important as your actual quality. So um, it was very easy for me to get freelance work once I met people in person. Um, but it was probably a good six months to a year between me leaving Bioware and me getting similar work, um, simply I didn't know anybody. I'd been at one company for 12 years mm-hmm. and had no contacts to doing anything else. So yeah. uh, but it worked out. So I, I targeted being a freelancer. Now I'm a freelancer. I've been a freelancer for about 10 years. Right. And all my friends at Bioware who had more technical specialization in their video game career, mm. they're not freelancers. They have to follow the job opportunities yeah. and hop around to different companies. And you know, video game companies are not a stable entity. You know, they're constantly going in and out of business. Yeah, totally. No, that's awesome. And <clears throat> I think just there, Mike, we'll take a quick break um, and we'll hear from our, our, our sponsor on the podcast, which is Procreate. Um, and then we'll come back to your freelance career. Okay, guys. Now at Digital Artcast, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Procreate. Procreate is an Apple Design award-winning digital painting and illustration solution designed exclusively for iOS. Procreate allows you to create professional-grade artworks wherever you are with an advanced dual-texture brush engine, a robust layering system, and groundbreaking canvas resolution, all for only £9.99. You can find Procreate 4, the new release through the App Store on your iPad, or learn more at www.procreate.art. Remember to leave a comment on YouTube or leave us a review on iTunes to be in with a chance of winning a copy of Procreate 4 for free. That's right, free. Thanks again to the Procreate team for sponsoring our podcast. Now, back to the episode. Okay, guys, so we're back. Thanks again to Procreate for sponsoring the podcast. Um, so, yeah, Mike, um, you've left Bioware at this point. Um, you've taken on some freelance opportunities. Um, so you working for Blizzard right out of the gate, you know, after getting your freelance opportunity, was that kind of the first proper work you had after leaving Bioware? Um, I think the first work I had was maybe through Paizo, and they make Pathfinder. Right, um, okay, yeah. But, you know, this Hearth, uh, this World of Warcraft trading card art was, you know, very early too. So, I mean, because um, I met them in person. That just happened after I went to this particular convention. But I got the Pathfinder work just by emailing them at that time. Um, so, yeah. I think I, I entered the freelance industry kind of like, you know, blind, like I didn't have any contacts. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where the opportunities lied. Yeah. Um, 
And that just sort of built by going to some conventions and stuff. And, uh, you know, I think because I got on with some good stable companies, I haven't really expanded that much. Like, you know, I've probably worked with 10 or less companies in my entire 10 year freelance career. Like, so, so much of the work like for Hearthstone is just continuous. Like there's, there's a real big drop off from the top companies downwards. So there's not really any reason for me to look for different work if I've got sort of stable, consistent monthly work with, with some of these people. Right. Okay. And then is that, um, has that been just kind of your mantra since you've kind of left? Have you stuck to more, um, fantasy based work? Is that kind of where your niche is? I mean, cause you've done a lot of kind of more sci-fi stuff at Bioware. So did you try to kind of flip the script a bit and do more fantasy stuff moving forward in freelance or have you done a mixture of both or? No, I think, you know, I'm a little different because I actually want to be like an oil painter as well, right? Right. And if you look at the types of subject matter that is applicable to that, um, obviously sci-fi is not as good, you know, for oil painting, you know, you want character-based narrative yep. art, mm-hmm. uh, things that have more sort of storytelling and in face, you know, uh, faces and, and all that. So yeah. I don't think I'm, I'm not really into sci-fi as much as, is just whatever is as close as possible to illustration that also doubles as making good original art paintings from, um, Hearthstone isn't the best for that mm-hmm. because the work is so vibrant and so cartoony. Yeah. Um, but magic is really good for that. And I've done some magic, um, and you know, I've done other things. I've done some stuff for fantasy flight for their star Wars games. Right. Uh, so, you know, just whatever opportunity is out there for, uh, for good illustrations that pay well and that, um, allow me to do originals when I, when I have the time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, keep going. Yeah. no, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that. Have you found that, you know, you spent so long in, in, uh, in a studio based job and you, you were kind of doing the 95 thing. Um, do you emulate that in your freelance work? Are you kind of up at your desk at 9 o'clock and then you work till 5? Or have you found that freelancers afforded more opportunity for freedom? And how do you kind of balance that with work family life? Like, are you finding are you finding that freelance suits you more now? You Like, you wouldn't want to go back to a studio job? Or? Um, from a work standpoint, it's pretty much the same. Like, I work basically... 10 to 6, you know, and that's about what I would work at Bioware too. Like, I think I went in at 10 and left at 6 at Bioware just to avoid traffic. So it's the same. Um, I think I'm just a pretty disciplined, structured sort of person. I'm not the kind of person who will be up late working at 2 in the morning and stuff. You know, it it just doesn't make sense. Um, A big part of it too is just um, as I get older, like I'm 45 now, um, like balance is, is becoming a huge deal. So like, um, I really try to exercise frequently now and, uh, you know, I have three kids now. So all these things really sort of take your options away for this sort of mythical freelance work flexibility thing that just doesn't exist. Like... (laughs) 
the kids have to go to school and I have to work out and I have to put in eight hours of work a day. You know, the best way to organize that is working like a normal work day. Um, you know, saying I'm going to work till two in the morning just doesn't work. I got to play with my kids and give my wife some time off in the evenings. So all these things just manifest themselves that um, a normal workday is still the best option. And uh, even before I had kids and all that, I still worked, you know, 10 to 6, basically. But I will work some weekends if I have to. And uh, like today is Sunday. I'm talking to you. I'll probably do some sketching after this. Right. Um, that's pretty normal for freelancers. Um Freelancers working six days a week is is a pretty standard thing, I think. Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, I was just going to say because some of the guys I've met recently, um, even one of the guys I know who does he does actually do some stuff for for Blizzard, and um, he has a whole rule of like the weekends are his like you know his golden time where he doesn't answer emails, he doesn't do any work at all, like he just plays with his kids, spends time with his wife. Um, so he's kind of like a Monday, Friday kind of guy, and then the weekends are like I think I think because in early in his career, he did work like in the weekends and he did work maybe even seven days if it was needed. But then I think he just kind of was like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I just want to, you know, I just want to focus on my kids and I want to be able to work as well. So I need to cut off the weekends just for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. The reality of the situation is that it all evens out. So yeah. if you work six or seven days a week you'll find yourself being just less productive mm. during the five days that you know someone else might work more productively so yeah. you know it's it all evens out yeah. i think there's there's obviously a a pressure and a and a volume that needs to be handled as a freelancer mm. um you know keeping up that sort of quality and everything yeah. you know it, it's not a studio job where like studio jobs have built-in inefficiencies. They have meetings you have to attend where you're sitting and doing nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's lots of stuff that's canceled and never sees the light of day. Yeah. There's lots and lots of wasted time. Yeah. As a freelancer, every single thing I do is like production. Like nothing is wasted. I don't know if I've hardly worked on anything that's ever been canceled. Yeah. Everything is a direct line to like a chunk of income and everything you know is simple labor equals income equation yeah. where you know in a studio job you know you're paid to be there you're paid for your opinion you're paid to be an employee and be owned by the company yeah. as a freelancer it's it's just nuts and bolts you send them a picture they send you a check so <laughs> um, you know as a freelancer definitely all your working time is like productive time. So that's what I'm saying is there's not these little bits of rest in the middle of the day where somebody's stopping by your cubicle and you're talking about TV shows for half an hour and you go for lunch <laughs> work dates and stuff. Yeah. Like Bioware, there was so much of that. There was so much just squishy time. Just yeah. so there was a gym in the building and a coffee shop across the street and everybody just hangs out and talks in a million meetings, like the amount of work that actually gets done um, compared to Lancer is probably in the order of like two thirds. So, yeah. you know, as a freelancer, if you're working more, 
productively than an employee and you're also working more days, you know, something's got to give. So yeah. you're going to, you know, you're going to get tired and burnt out or you'll just be less productive. So people that say they work five days and take the weekends off, I think are being realistic because they know that you don't, you can't squeeze any more out of that, your, your working schedule than that anyways. Yeah. I think, oh no, I was going to yeah. say, I think, I think there's a, there's definitely something we've talked about in, in talks I've had before where you get this thing called the, the, the level of diminishing return where, you know, you can, you can draw for 12 hours a day, but after like maybe hour six or seven, like you brain kind of starts to shut off like it almost is like burnt out already like it can't really process much more problem solving it's kind of like i need a rest and i think that's um a danger i've seen in the, in the industry with younger students even younger than me i mean um we were looking at a guy's work the other day um i forget the guy's name but half the sanity but it was a guy um i think he's from korea and he's maybe 17 years old and um He's been studying 3D for a year, and his stuff is, you know, industry beyond even. Like, it's just phenomenal work. But he had attested to, um, you know, doing these 12-hour days. But, you know, I, I've got to say that I, when you're, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you maybe can push your body that much. But, um, you know, when you're a student and you're trying to get in a studio job and you try to burn 16-hour days, like, yeah, there's a, there's a point where your body just refuses to cooperate, if you know what I mean. Like, it's just, yeah, yeah. I think I, I do recommend, though, that you do have a part of your life when you're younger that you have this sort of crazy focus and, and growth and learning that, yeah. you know, you're not going to have those opportunities later in life. So yeah. do that now for sure. I mean, burn yourself out, gain that experience. Mm. Um, if you're 45 and have three kids, like, you know, I, I don't learn that much anymore. Like everything I do is just production and if I'm learning something, it's just, you know, making this job slightly better than the last job or correcting something or yeah. trying something slightly new. But, you know, leaps and bounds and sorts of education, mm. um, those things happen in your 20s and 30s. And uh, yeah. my job at Bioware was perfect for that because, like I said, I was the only artist doing my job and I had sort of the full reins to succeed or fail whatever I made was like accepted you know there was no boss there was no um I didn't have anybody um to live up to at that time I yeah. was like my own sort of department um but 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 yeah now for for young people you just need to find a way to be productive and and have a crucible of growth and I think um you know, I hear the opposite. I hear people say, oh, it's all about balance. It's all about life experience and all that. That You know, that is sort of true, mm. but don't use those sorts of things as an excuse for being lazy as well. <laughs> yeah. today's, a, today's a rest day. I'm, I'm taking a, a bit of me time, so I'm just not going to do any work, and then you do that for five days. <laughs> yeah, I've, no, heard, I've heard this from people that are not um not accomplished artists and yeah. that have not done much and they're and they say oh you have to have your rest and your me time and you know life experience and read books and blah 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 but they're not good artists you know yeah. so it's you do need a certain amount of focus time and uh specialization time and hours you know there's a good phrase that 
I heard from an artist named Mark Zug, who I really admire. And he just calls it like ass in chair time. You just need <laughs> chair time. Like it all comes down to just, you know, focus and having that ass in chair time. Um, and as you get older, it's harder and harder to have that ass in chair time. Yeah. So, I mean, especially because you've got kids, like kids are going to be your biggest thing just now. Yeah. I'm okay because I have a studio separate from the house. Right. Um, but, you know, like my back will get sore if I'm on the computer a lot or, um, you know, I just don't have the ability to focus as much or motivation, you know. So a lot of it is just a certain amount of drive you have when you're younger, a certain amount of competitive drive should be harnessed. Um, And those learning opportunities, um, like when I was at Bioware, so they had what's called like educational allowance. Like every year you were there, they would pay for like, I don't know, like half or a third of like a course. And so after a couple of years, then you could go say like travel for a course and they would pay for it. So I really utilized that like to its fullest degree there. So I took a whole bunch of like oil painting courses and stuff. And I, I did a lot of learning when I was there that was like building my skills that I use now. So I don't do a whole lot of learning now, but what I'm doing is I'm I'm just utilizing all this sort of built up knowledge. Um, whereas if you don't do that, then you're constantly having to learn and produce at the same time in the framework of like diminishing ability to do so yeah yeah especially when you try to take on work and they're maybe asking you to do a specific thing they haven't learned and you have to learn that to do the work and i mean even just now i'm finding there's a whole crossover where um you know people are having to utilize like 2d artists are having to utilize 3d now in their workflow um which a couple of years back or even four or five years back was just you know a thing that now i think concept artists especially 2d guys are expected to know um, programs like Max and Maya, or even Modo, or you know ZBrush, um, just something they can use to whip up basic compositions in light before they start painting. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean, have you ever tried to kind of to dive into 3D with your paintings, or are you just are you quite happy with the, the traditional approach to the the brushes and stuff you use? Or well, that's kind of how it all started is utilizing 3D. So like I said, I used to be one of the main sort of texture, lighter scene setup guys for the cinematics. So like I would model some characters and I would create the scenes and light and render them. And that was sort of a lot of my early um, Bioware work was um, like painting on top of renders and and, um, creating models and rendering them and and finishing them as illustrations. So yeah, I've, I've done a lot of that, but again, that was probably when the programs were a little less complicated and the expectations a little simpler. Right, yeah. Uh, like the Knights of the Old Republic box is like that. It's like a mix of like utilizing low polygon game characters and then rendering them out and, and painting on top of them to, you know, round them off and stuff. Right. And I did that all the way through, you know, Mass Effect, like... You know, even though the Unreal Engine looks really good, mm-hmm. you know, character spaces are still kind of blocky and their hands are still like sausages and you still have to sort of paint on it all to, you know, make it look totally, you know, realistic to be 
judged as a still image. So, you know, a lot of my Bioware career was using renders like that. But, um, you know, other times it was pure illustration as well, you know, starting from like a drawing. So, um, you know, listening to you talk about young artists today and the trends, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it brings to mind like just career planning questions like what are you going to choose to do and what are the trends and where's the competition and I think you know I want to be more of a painter more of an oil painter and I've always wanted to be that and I think in hindsight the way the industry is going it's it's a good spot to be because the people that are quote-unquote like fine art painters don't have like the fidelity and ability that we have as like concept art, video game, illustration guys. So we have the ability to create like pretty spectacular oil paintings. Mm. Um, And no matter how good you are as a digital artist, it's still just a file. It's still a print at best, but it's never an original. So um, by being someone who's been always sort of half tech guy, half oil painter I think I'm in a pretty good position and so for instance like guys that do like magic paintings and uh, hearthstone paintings um, I see guys selling magic paintings for like three four grand like quite consistently where the assignment fee might be a thousand and the painting will sell for three thousand so you do like one third of the work and get you know three to four times the pay right so the the trick is as an oil painter is you have the ability to totally separate your product from everybody else like it exists as an artifact it exists as a collectible exists as like a you know a rare one-off um and it's not a marketplace that's expanding at all like there's very few guys that do the oil paintings and there's no new people entering that field. Like the guys that I knew doing this 20 years ago are the same guys doing it now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't see new artists entering the field as oil painters. So I'm glad I targeted that because it allows me to um, be separate and not have to sort of compete with the same criteria as the 17 year old Korean guy who will spend like 15 hours a day, which I just can't keep up with. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's definitely, it's a, I think it's a centre in the industry. I've definitely seen it as an industry where, um, I think it's just one of the hardest industries in the world to be in. I mean, I think entertainment in general is like that, whether you're an actress or a sound producer or an artist, um, if you're creating something for an entertainment value, um, you're always competing with somebody else because it's such a sought-after job. Um, like I know, especially when I wanted to leave my job, I felt it would be such a. Um, not that it was easy, but it just seemed like a really cool job. You know, like the cool factor, like the rockstar lifestyle. Like, oh, you get to work in video games, you get to play them, you get to, um, you know, be amongst other people who make like I don't know, like Gears of War and Skyrim and Halo. Like, you know all this cool shit, you know, I get to do this and, you know, if you spoke to somebody about your job and they're like, oh my god, you're working on something related to Star Wars, that must be so cool, like, you know, but, um, for you it was a lot of long hours in the office, um, 
You know, I mean, like there, there's almost I think you talk about you know I think a lot of people get in it sometimes for the wrong reasons. That's what I'm saying. Um, and I think, I it's, think yeah. Two points. Any time people will do work for free, and you want to do it and get paid, you're screwed. Second, yeah. any type of work that can be like emailed, you're screwed. Because that means anyone, any place in the world can do it and be your competitor. Yeah. So if you want to make a lot of money, uh, be a plumber, you know, be <laughs> that whose work is like needed mm. and nobody wants to do it and it can't be emailed and nobody's going to do it for free, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so art is, is, like you're saying, it's, it's one of the toughest fields to be in because it's a, it's a passion field. It's a field that has a lot of cachet and, and sort of subsidiary fame and connection to famous products. Uh, but, you know, it's just a matter of your priorities. Like, you know, sometimes I think, like, I don't, I don't actually teach, but I think what are some of the best advices I would give to, like, students? I think a lot of it is financial. It's like be, you know, frugal, be cheap, be good with money, and then everything flows from there like your your needs from an income standpoint if they're low that totally frees you up then to have more of a passion-based career yeah. so you know all the sorts of advice you could ever have about how to get better as a 2d artist a 3d artist mm. what are industry trends that all has to be couched in the framework of what is your income needs and that's the major thing is sustainability in your career is what's going to allow you to like get better and grow and have like the long-term successes. Mm. So just having like low expenses, being good with money mm. and uh, your art career will be so much more successful if you put those things into place. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more, Mike. I think it's, that's a great piece of advice for most people. And I definitely would say having went through the system of leaving a job and, and coming back in this industry as a new face, um, definitely measure your expectations. I mean, unless you're going to be, you know, the, the phenomenal top 10% that get to go work in something like Irving, California, with Blizzard, where, you know, I mean, the money is, is, is good for, for, you know, good reason because it's such a high-profile company. But, um, you know, be, be prepared to gauge your expectations on a lifestyle. Um, I think I've... I've most of in fact me and everybody I've met in this industry um, has never been driven by money that's always been passion and the, the, the drive to create something um, that probably makes people go wow that's that's why they do it um, it isn't for the paycheck I mean obviously everybody's got to live everybody's got to have a house and pay their bills you know you just can't get away from money it is the root of all evil but um, yeah you're never going to be driving Lamborghinis or you know you know, sinking in hot tubs over the weekend or popping champagne at the weekends. It's, um, yeah, definitely. Well, I think you need to have a really long-term view of the career because I think I saw like a chart about a year ago that was like, it was like an income chart, like what percentage of illustrators make less than five grand a year, which percentage of illustrators make 10 grand or less, which percentage make 30 grand or less. And then broken down into like age groups as well. And like the vast majority of illustrators make like 10 grand or less per year. And the vast majority of illustrators are under 40. So you're in like 
the 1% if you're over 40 and making like 50 grand a year. So knowing that 99 out of 100 people won't be an illustrator at 40 making 50 grand a year, you have to know that's a statistic now. That's a statistic that's probably not going to change. So uh, look at that as a reality. How do you be an illustrator at 40 years old and 50 and 60? And how do you survive making those levels of income? Um, I think most people are just trying to get their first job, trying to get foothold, trying to get a bit of internet fame, you know, trying to get a better picture. But, you know, those things all need to be, I think, um, thought about within like a real larger worldview of sustainability. No, 100%. I couldn't agree more, Mike. Okay then, well, Mike, I think that's a, that's a good time to wrap it up. Um, but yeah. Not too fun to think about those things. Yeah, no, I definitely <laughs> I hope we've not depressed anybody listening to the podcast. There is, there is positives in this, and I mean... If you if you're if you're hard enough working, um, you're not going to starve. Like you you will make a a decent living. Like you you'll be able to afford you know like rent and food. You know you're not going to. Um, I think it's the I think. So look, here's the flip side of what I said. Yeah. Because so few forty year old artists are doing this. There's constant opportunity for twenty year old artists to come in and take their place. So like <laughs> the young artists putting in those hours, like you guys are like a a huge threat to guys like me. Like, yeah. we're just barely keeping our jobs. Um, <laughs> seriously, like, yeah. there's so much good art out there. There are so many good artists. Yeah, It's not the kind of industry that you sort of bank experience and can rest on your laurels. Yeah. So those opportunities, like, there's lots and lots, and there's nothing standing in the way of anybody getting them other than just being able to do the work that the companies need you to do. So um, fully go ahead and pursue this career because there's tons of opportunity out there. And uh, just look at the people that you admire and look at their work. And when your work is comparable, you're just a step away from getting that work. You just need to meet the companies in person and make that personal connection. Um, So it's, there's so much work and there's so many people out there. Um, it's a scary industry from certain vantage point, but from yeah. other vantage points, um, there's a ton of opportunity. So I hope people don't get discouraged by anything that I said. Yeah, no, totally. I think it's um, it's one of these things where you're totally right in saying that it can be difficult, but rewarding. Like I know the hours can be long and the, the work might be um, a bit harder to maintain because you maybe have to learn things, but um, the reward overall, not just the money, but to, you know, like for instance, you know, the game I'm working on just now. Um, I think only just recently with the latest demo, with the build we put together, my name was in the credits, and it was like a tear jerking moment. Like after five years of leaving my job, you know, and thinking that I wouldn't make anything of myself, you know, here I was in the credit roll for this game. And um, that for me was was better than any paycheck I could have ever got. Um, just the ability to see almost like my name in lights, you know, like I had accomplished something. Um, so yeah, I would say that's for me that's a rewarding factor. That's something that keeps me going forward. That makes me want to do more because um, that to me is more important than money. Is the is the recognition I think is. is for me, anyway, I don't know about you, Mike. If that's the same, like you know, seeing your name in the like the credits of the Star Wars games, was that a thing for you as well, or 
Well, no, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, look at us, two guys that hardly know each other, talking to each other, having in-depth conversation. You know, like just our ability to be in this industry, um, it's more than just, you know, going to a job and, and making coffees for people at Starbucks. You know, we're, yeah. we're connecting with people. We're making friendships. You know, we're developing certain legacies and whatnot. And, you know, it's a great career for that. There's definitely great community, great art communities out there. Yeah. And uh, it's a, you know, I would say that's probably the strongest and most positive thing of being an artist, like, is just the community aspect is unbelievable. Like the artists I've met are like the smartest, most hardworking people, like in society, They're, you know, <laughs> make it in this field requires like really a, a level of dedication that weeds out, you know, people that are more lackadaisical and yeah. uh, just having camaraderie with people that you respect is, is definitely special. Um, artists are not the type of people that just go through the motions. Yeah. Well, definitely, 100%. I agree with you. Okay, cool. Right, well, um, just to say thanks very much, Mike, for coming on and speaking to us. It was, a, it was an honour and a privilege to have a conversation with you and I hope, I hope you enjoyed yourself. Um, yeah, thanks, Gord. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, when I listen to podcasts, I like hearing other perspectives, and I always want to hear perspectives from older people that have a bit of wisdom from, you know, the back end of their career. And so I hope, you know, at this stage in my career, I'd like to provide that to other people just so they have sort of a, a longer-term vision of certain things to expect. And, uh, you know, not just looking at um the small short-term goals that they have but you know to be aware of pitfalls and to uh to take their career as a holistic long-term view so i hope i've provided that for people so thanks for letting yeah. me talk about that well that's it it was it was it's definitely my honor to have you on um, I'm, a, I'm a big admirer of your work and uh it was great to just um like you said i think because it's I think the thing i love about um just in general when i'm talking to people is that um, you could put, you know, six or seven people uh, in a room and ask them about, you know, their career and, and art and uh, not one of them would have the same story. You know, everybody's had a different experience of how they've got any, you know, through either being self-taught or bumping into someone at a convention or through a friend or going to school. Um, so yeah, like it, it's just good to get people on because I think as one of the things that I find is good for young artists is finding something who has a similar story to you and then Kind of clutching onto that and, and seeing how they carved their path and then it can also help you find you know similar avenues and they work um so yeah it's good when you have multiple people on because then everybody's got that different story about how they broke in the industry so so yeah it's been it's been good to have you on um thanks agreed i i, I always listen to podcasts and i i find myself really relating to you know most of the things that i hear and agreeing with most of the things that i hear and that it just gives you confidence that you're not some outlier, that you have shared experiences. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't presume to be like the shit, the best guy in the world. <laughs> a long, yeah. long career with a lot of um, help along the way, and uh, I've managed to fumble myself into doing this work for over 20 years. So, um, so young guys. Don't take my work. I need it. I'm trying. <laughs> Just like you. 
Okay, no problem. Um, right, great, Mike. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, yeah, guys, just um, thanks again for, for listening. Um, make sure to leave a comment or review on iTunes, and you'll be in a chance with winning a copy of Procreate 4 from iPad. Um, and thanks again to Mike. And yeah, uh, stay tuned, guys, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye bye.